Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the latest edition of Chapter Two's Talent Ed podcast. The Talent Ed podcast welcomes in-depth guidance from ambitious business leaders who know that the right talent attraction strategy is key when welcoming new talent to their business. I'm excited to share with you today some time that I had with Will Beaton, who is the head of people for MyTutor. MyTutor is a is the leading online platform for one-to-one tuition for secondary school children. They have had huge success in improving pupils' grades, confidence, and life success. They have an impressive online network of tutors. They have delivered a quarter of a million lessons to date. And pupils will improve by an average of one whole grade within 12 lessons when using them. So it is a great honour to welcome Will. And we have some great insights from him. He'll be telling us all about the growth strategy and hyper growth experience that they had over the last few years, how they worked to ensure that their foundations were strong to allow them to achieve success through that growth, and what technology can do to support a growing business. Will will also share with us some key advice on how to adapt your hiring model as you grow to ensure that you're bringing the best people into your business. Will, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, yeah, yeah, really good, thank you. Um, Thanks so much for having me. Problem. We are so delighted to have you on. We're really excited. Um, I mean, we love to do the podcast um, with all of our guests, of course, um, but with everything that is going on at the moment um, with the um, pandemic, etc. Um, I certainly knew of my tutor, uh, but you know, over the last year, I would say it's it's uh, definitely become a household name and um, has really kind of um, been thrown into the spotlight with the focus on. Um, you know, uh, tutoring for um, secondary school children um, and making sure that they're keeping up with with the education and everything. So um, I think more than ever, you know, it's a great time to have you on and to hear about your journey and the team's journey there. Um, So please correct me if I say anything wrong, but my understanding is that my tutor was uh, the brainchild of the three founding members. So Vertie Hubbard, James Grant and Robert Grabener who started it in 2013. Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, And this was through a frustration with um, being able to find um, tutors, um, maybe it's location, maybe it's expertise, and also maybe it's it's cost. Um, It just wasn't readily available to everybody as it potentially should have been. Um, And then in that time, you know, you've gone from three up to nearly around 150 um, employees not including of course all of the tutors Um, and you know it's just gone from strength to strength so um, can you tell us a little bit I mean you've been there a long time five years Um, can you tell us a little bit about you and and your journey there? Yeah sure so that was a great great summary of how things started you got everything right there Um, and in terms of when I joined I came in sort of a similar time to, to James Grant, who um, sort of built out the B2B side of the business with my tutor. So when it first started out um, with Robert and, and then soon after Bertie, um, that was purely on the B2C side of the business. So working directly with parents um, to sort of sort tutoring out for the children through an online marketplace. Um, and then 
I came in with James a couple of years later and we were looking at how we could expand our offering to schools you know, and universities across the UK. And, and what that means now is that my tutor's got this really you know, diverse offering uh, for, for everyone involved where we've got you know, a great source of income for our tutors who are all undergrads sort of at universities across the UK. So instead of having to kind of do a Saturday night in a bar, they can have some flexible work where they can kind of earn a little bit more probably per hour, you know, and do something they love. You know, maybe they're doing a maths degree and they're working with a couple of uh, kids a few years behind them, sort of quite near peer uh, to deliver some lessons and hopefully get them kind of the grades they kind of are looking for and the grades they deserve. And you've got the B2C side of business where, as I said, you've got parents who signing up, maybe they're trying to get their student uh, to get their firm offer, uh, or maybe they just need to get that, you know, the tricky subject they want to get, you know, the C grade in so they can carry on to sixth form. Um, so there's that offering as well. Then there's the B2B side, which has really uh, kind of expanded a lot in the past year, particularly with the, the pandemic. Like you said, you've got lots of students who are kind of behind um, their peers, so disadvantaged students. And, and that gap, unfortunately, with COVID is expected to increase and, and, and sort of already has. So we've been able to partner with the government and partner with schools to offer sort of regular weekly tuition to these schools uh, to kind of close that attainment gap, kind of get things back on track and get them to like where they deserve. Um, so, yeah, so it's a really great offering where we've kind of got these three, you know, they're, they're all our customers in a way. Um, so we want to make sure that they get support and it, it, it's a great kind of um, a great place to be in the education system, I feel. Oh, absolutely. And I suppose, you know, with the um, with the pandemic over the last year, the government have um, invested more and more, haven't they, in, in the hope of kind of getting getting those students back on track? Have you seen them sort of suddenly sit up and, and really start to take notice more maybe than they even were beforehand? Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we used to work with schools before the pandemic. Uh, and they'd use their sort of pupil premium funding uh, to, to work with us on maybe a small selection of pupils. You know, you might be looking at 30 pupils out of a class of a, you know, a year group of 100 odd. Whereas now what the government has done through the National Tutoring Programme is they've partnered with, you know, or attended with a number of different sort of providers across the UK, both in person, small group, you know, some one to one as well. To, to sort of really maximize often to get as much coverage as possible. So schools are getting kind of reduced cost tuition through subsidy from the government and also additional funding to put towards that. So that's really meant, that's really expanded the offering and meant that instead of 30 pupils being helped, you know, that's three times the size of what it would have been or maybe schools who felt before it didn't fit within their budgets. Now they're able to, um, able to support that. And, and this has also been backed up, you know, the more, kind of scrutiny that's gone on onto it, the more work that's been looking to the efficacy of it as well. So more studies, you know, we've done some studies in the past um, and we've seen that six lessons can, can have a material impact on a, on a, a pupil's grades, like half a grade more than the peers who didn't have my tutor over the same period. So we've seen the results, but it's now more people are putting F into it, more independent kind of bodies are, are looking into it more to look at how impactful tutoring can be, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly um, it's certainly a priority to those that potentially it wasn't before. So I think it's it's really interesting. And I'm sure from your perspective, you know, so so you're saying you came in as employee or, you know, number four. Is that right? And now uh, not quite four. There was a little bit 
I was about, I think me and James about seven and eight because there was a, there was a small piece where the B2C side of business had kind of a couple of years to grow. Uh, And then James and I came in for B2B. So James, you know, very much is a founder, particularly, you know, bringing that the B2B institutional knowledge. Um, And, you know, he joined that founding team, but I think we were about seven and eight. So, you know, a lot smaller than we are now. We've come a long way (laughs) since then, that's for sure. So can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like at that time? Were you kind of working? Was it, were you in London? Was it kind of remote working? How, how did that look? So we, you know, we, we had an office, probably not quite so nice as the office we left before the pandemic. Uh, there's a lot of us, well, not a lot of us, I guess, but there's a few of us crammed into quite a small space, um, yeah. you know, working on the end of each other's desks. Um, and I guess, you know, the team back then, uh, there's a lot of generalists, um, you know, people who were recently graduated from university themselves um, and were kind of looking to make an impact and, you know, looking for roles where there was kind of high level of autonomy, um, room to kind of, you know, a greenfield site, I guess, where it's a space where you can be creative. Not a lot of structures, which can be difficult for some people, but, mm-hmm. you know, room to have, uh, you know, a lot of control over your own destiny, I guess. So, yeah, there was a small group of us working incredibly hard on processes which were quite ill-defined, a lot of spreadsheets, um, (laughs) a lot of, you know, people doing sales one week and then operations the next and speaking to one customer, kind of following it through, including the founders as well. You know, everyone was working incredibly hard. Um, So yeah, it was a little bit different back then, but our our growth journey was not super quick at first, actually. You know, a lot of companies, sometimes they're, they're kind of created and within a year they're than maybe the size we are, but actually up until last year, for those first four years, it was quite a gradual growth growth trajectory up to about 50 employees, um, which we maybe we'll touch on later, but I think had had some quite good benefits for, for what we've been able to build. Yeah, absolutely. So not having to, you know, not growing so fast that you can't necessarily keep up, but growing at a nice pace so that it can remain strategic. Is that, does that sort of? Yeah, I guess what it really helps you to do where you, you're, like a little bit slower is one from a cultural perspective really build something out you know you you bring in these kind of you know we call them like founding members so not to say the founders but people who were there from you know pretty early on and they really help shape the culture along with the founders then maybe the people who end up in sort of senior positions across the company so over a four-year period you've actually built something you know you understand what your values are you know the ways of working so then where you're adding in people kind of dripped across you know a longer period they kind of, you know, come into that culture, they might change a little bit, obviously they'll bring a, a more a diverse view, but you can kind of build on that culture. Whereas when you kind of add in, you know, maybe some of these larger companies add in a hundred people over a year, having only been around for, for six months, you know, what kind of, what culture you're adding them to, like how have you had a chance to build a culture out? Um, some, you know, and some people do do it well, but it can be really difficult. Um, so I think, you know, having that slower trajectory to building a larger team has meant that, when we have come up against some serious growth, like in this past year, you know, as I say, tripling in size, it's we're adding them into a really well-defined culture to really well, like defined processes. Sure, maybe they need scaling a little bit so they can operate at the levels, but the essence of them is there and it's something to build on, which I think has been really great. Yeah, the, the culture piece I think is really interesting because um, we work with lots of scaling companies who are, you know, specifically trying to support them with their um, the talent acquisition piece. But of course, also looking at um, how they build out that 
that kind of um, the fundamentals, I suppose, the foundations that you need to have in place so that you're ready to scale. Um, and whether that be um, cultural values or, or looking at the processes and the technology as well that they have in place, it's all kind of, it all, it all forms like the bigger picture, doesn't it? So when you say kind of culture and values, when you were taking it back to those really early days, was that something that evolved quite naturally or was it something that you as a team thought, right, this is something we need to establish early on so that then we know that it's a solid foundation and it's there and then potentially the people that we're going to bring in we know are a right cultural fit and have those values or was it the other way around yeah so I think I mean and and because it was sort of earlier on in my career I can't really take any credit for for the way the way it was established but I think what we saw was that you know early on the founders had a keen interest in the hiring process so they they sort of would always have at least some say in it which I think is important again where maybe you are quite early stage and you haven't necessarily defined all your cultures you haven't written everything down so yeah. it's hard to kind of say exactly what it is that that was quite an important piece of the puzzle but I guess as we've scaled what we've had to do is that well how do you capture that kind of the the founder having had that conversation with them how do you kind of almost like codify that so uh -huh. it's testable for anyone who can go in. It's testable. I think that's something that we're aware we've, instead of doing the slow increase, we've had this recent big increase we've had to, you know, account for. Uh, I think tooling, I think that was probably relatively undeliberate. You know, we were um, probably relatively scattered in our approach before people would use different jobs boards. It wasn't very centralized, but where we kind of suddenly hit the rapid growth, it was like, okay, well, what's our ATS, you know, do we need to put a little bit more money into this? Who needs access? You know, are we using it to its fullest um, capabilities? You know, scorecards. Um, can we remove like bias in the process, so like anonymous, um, uh, like screening and then reporting as well? Like, are we kind of put, using it in the right way with the data? So we're collecting the right data to report on it. Same for diversity inclusion. Are we collecting the right data to again so we can report on it? So that was probably a more deliberate switch. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of the hiring early on, we kind of, we tried to establish, you know, it's funny that the, the term culture fit sometimes is like a bit of a dirty word nowadays. And I, I think, you know, I do understand that point. And, you know, sometimes we call it cross team fit. Um, you know, how well are you going to be able to work with, with people across the business? Um, or again, maybe it's sort of just testing for values, which again, people seem relatively aligned that a company should have values. So I think, you know, making sure you're testing for that is really important um, early on. Um, and I think just, you know, what we just had, we, we just had quite high standards. We had quite, a, we've had a, the same process pretty much all the way through. We've had this sort of screen, first round interview, case study, culture fit, and that's for whatever role you're doing across the business, whatever level, it's always the same. So if you're a junior person coming to the business, we might do an assessment center, so it's condensed, but ultimately you'll be going through pretty much the same process as you would if we're bringing in, you know, head of department. So um, I think that's also been important to maintain that quality on hires across the business at all levels. Yeah, someone, um, the when, the last podcast that I did um, with Tom Denny from Coda, um, he said exactly the same. He said about standards and how, you know, you've got to have high standards because in any company, not having the right person, not having anybody in a role is going to cost you money, but having the wrong person in a role is really going to cost you a lot more money and time. And, and maybe in a larger company that might 
not be so obvious or you know you might be able to sort of um not focus on that too much but certainly within a a startup or a scale up you know that is really 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 important um to make sure that you have got the right people so having high standards and if it does take a little bit longer then it takes a little bit longer but that's you know the right thing to do to make sure that it's the right uh the, the right next person for the team yeah i mean i saw a stat i think it was in cipd but it was something like the cost to the business of making the wrong hires like 30k or something like yeah. that on average yeah. which is loads of money and you know you think you're kind of like umming and you know a candidate said they want you want to pay 50 they want 52 so you say oh we can't have them we'll have to pay 47 for our second choice and they're not quite right you know in the long run if you just paid that extra have a much gay you know it would have been way less than getting the wrong person in who's not quite as strong and they end up having to leave so yeah, yeah I think you know being important and it's definitely harder I feel like as as we've gone through kind of the more kind of hyper growth stage it you, you can get quite you, it is easy to get lost in the pace of things and you know um oh we just need to get someone in you know now revenue you know before where we weren't kind of servicing a client maybe like you know it's like the, the, the contract's like 3k but now it's like 30k and suddenly you know it, you feel like oh you know it's a nightmare if we don't do this but you know you do have to stay strong and, and that's where I think that culture fit is really useful is because for us it's always someone objective so yes, it's a set of questions, but they're also not directly going to be working with this person. So they can kind of, they're not sort of feeling the pressure of, oh, we need to in this role or, you know, we're, we're down two people in the team. So we just want to get them in. They're very objective and just sort of like, is this person going to work in my tutor? Like, are they the right fit? Yes or no. And if they aren't, then, you know, you shouldn't necessarily make that higher just because people are feeling stretched as painful as that can be. Yes. Yeah, of course. And you talk, um, you mentioned then about processes and how you've tried to keep them relatively consistent in your growth and then in your hyper growth, as, as you mentioned, which I think is a great way to put it. Um, is, so is that the case in terms of, you know, you and your role, head of people and how you are expanding your team? Does it look similar today to what it looked like five years ago or three years ago? So I guess with, with the hiring piece, um, I think what, where, what we've tried, so we've got this sort of fundamental process that we try to keep, but I guess what we're doing as we scale is um, one, making it so more people are able to follow that process. So whereas before, you know, you've got the founders, you've got the heads of making the hires, like can we get more people involved? There's like a lot more mid-level mid managers who might have more, more time to give. It's also a good kind of upskilling opportunity for them. Like I think it's always quite an exciting thing to be involved in, particularly earlier on in your career. Uh, hiring so like can we get more people involved in this process so it's like you know the, the less centralized on a few people which again that means that you need to work on your training so whereas before hiring training would have been relatively minimal it was sort of like learn as you go now it's a lot more structured we've got decks we can lean on and you know quest you know people uh, people to go to if you have a question i think the other one is like better utilizing technology so and again probably before gdpr there's a lot of spreadsheets with a lot of candidates information, which we had to sort of tidy up, but it's like, okay, well, we've got this ATS, how can we best use that? So can we use scorecards? So the, the questions are structured the same for any candidate that comes to the process. And, you know, you're, you have to score, you know, these are the scores you can give. You have to add your feedback in a certain way. When we kind of do our, we call it wash ups or sync ups, you know, how are they structured? Who's leading that? So I think that's, you know, that's been important as well, like adding um, a little bit more structure to how people do it. Um, but yeah, you know, broadly, 
um, the rest of the process looks the same. We, we try and adapt the questions. You know, since I started, our, our, our values and behaviours have changed slightly. I guess that's maybe, you know, as the needs of the business change, the sort of maybe the, the type of attitude you need maybe needs to change a little bit as well, or you get a better understanding. And, you know, we're kind of constantly looking at those. So as they change, are they being represented in the interview process <laughs> as well? So I think that's been something. Um, so, yeah. And then I guess for the rest of the people team, I'd say there's probably that there's been a lot more change there. Um, you know, we didn't really have a people, we didn't have a people team for the first, you know, through definitely about three years. And then, then it was just a small part of the head of ops role, which is where I came into it. And yeah. only kind of really in the last sort of 18 months, maybe even less, yeah, maybe sort of 16 months as it kind of actually become a function that people refer to. You know, before that people didn't talk about the people function. There's just a few bits that had to happen like contracts. Um, but it's yeah. obviously much more deliberate now. So that, there's probably been quite a big change there. And has that had an impact on, on the hiring model that you used? Have you had to adapt that? Have you had to sort of use different types of models as, as you've got bigger? Yeah, so we, um, before kind of the steady growth that we were doing earlier on, if you wanted to hire someone as a hiring manager, you had to go away and you had to, you have to figure out. So there's a rough process to follow, find your candidates, do inbound, you know, a lot of like network referral, stuff like that. And then when we went for the hyper growth, we um, kind of partnered with an external talent partners. They placed some of the business with us um, and they, you know, really helped. And, and they were, you know, quite instrumental as well in helping us formalize our process because suddenly you've gone from a place where a hiring manager has a huge level of control, does all the screening, all the calls, you know, everything through to the end. Whereas now we're saying, well, actually, there's a predefined process. It's pretty well structured. You know, obviously you need to add your questions in here. We're going to help you write your job spec. Um, we're going to own the process centrally and you're just going to feed in at certain points as you go. So there was quite a big kind of cultural shift there. Um, and then further still, we've now switched sort of to in-house. So we've now got in-house recruiters. We're just about to make our second one. Um, so the reason we wanted to switch that is just to give us further ownership still so you know we can kind of fully own what reporting looks like we could um you know have ownership over dni evp um which you know definitely has its challenges as well you kind of sometimes can forget you can kind of take for granted what an external talent part can offer you they've always got a lot of resources behind them lots of expertise so it's definitely not an easy switch. That's definitely something for people to be aware of if, if anyone's listening who uh, is, is thinking about that. And actually, we've recently looked, explored going back to an external model as well on top of our current um, in-house team because for my tutor and this, for other education companies as well, we have very um, peaky demand for, well, both, both delivery of our product, you know, it kind of, starts off in September, gets busier and busier and busier up to exams and it's down again. And then you kind of, but you know, you don't go down as you were last time and you kind of build up again. So, um, you know, a lot of our hires come between April and August, ready for that September, that September sort of pickup again. Yeah. Um, and that, so for us, maybe an external partner is quite a good solution because, you know, if you have a, a longstanding relationship, you say, look, for four months a year, you know, we need to pay X amount um because we need to bring in quite a high number of hires that's probably more cost effective than saying well okay we need to actually have the equivalent of three talent managers in all year round just to deal with that one bit of the year where it's like crazy busy so 
yeah, um, definitely had to continue to think and necess haven't necessarily solved it yet. I'm sure there'll be other periods of high growth that maybe we'll have to rethink again. But um, yeah, I guess at the moment we're kind of looking at kind of a, an in-house and external uh, hybrid. A bit of a hybrid, yeah. And we, you know, we find that a lot, actually, that because you can't always, you may have your strategic workforce plan in place, and it may be pretty accurate, but either you're operating in a in a situation like you where you may receive funding and so grow, or it might be just to do with the time of the year. Um, or even really large organisations, you know, there's going to be those sort of ebbs and flows in recruitment that you need to manage. And so being able to build in a little bit, bit of scalability mm. into your hiring model, I think, can really benefit any type of company, really. Um, and also post um, COVID, you know, if, if things do continue to move in a positive direction and companies may be uncertain of what the future looks like or the immediate future, I think also having that flexibility in the model can be really beneficial. So um, I think that's really helpful and insightful to, to potentially those sort of startups or scale ups who are maybe a little bit earlier in their journey and are thinking, what kind of model are we going to adopt? What should we do about the processes? You know, do we need to rely on external suppliers? Do we want to keep it in house, etc.? Um, mm. I mean, uh, candidate experience. Um, I know you mentioned before has always been really high on on the on the list of of you know how you're um, growing your team. Is it is that still something that you know you can you can keep on top of and that is is a core thing when you're looking at at that growth? You know, now you are much bigger than you were when you first started can you still continue to have that that focus on candidate experience yeah i mean i like to i hope so um <laughs> i like to think so um it's funny our glass door is quite a funny place to look because yeah. all our tutors who are actually self-employed um kind of put reviews on there kind of like you know cheap cheap uni work you know you know easy but like it's not you know no view on the ceo kind of thing because they've obviously they just work in their bedroom doing two hours yeah. a week um, so they shouldn't really be doing it. So it's a bit of a funny place to look. Um, but we know when you do signal out the kind of the actual employees, you know, our, our kind of the reviews we get, the kind of experience is high from those who's those who have made it and also the ones who haven't. Um, but I think it's super it's super important that, that it does remain, you know, high up the list. Um, and, you know, I mean, for, at the moment, my tutor, our kind of EVP isn't super fleshed out. You know, if you look at my tutors, someone searching for jobs, it's not necessarily the easiest place to find, um, you know, where, is, where are all the jobs linked? What is it like working here? Or about its pages, hideously out of date. And, and I'm, I'm blaming COVID, you know, we haven't been able to take pictures of anyone yet. Yeah. I'm sure there are some companies who have smashed the, the remote uh, headshot. We, we haven't. There's also a piece around like prioritization, you know, what other areas do you need to focus on? So, you know, because of that, I think that's really important that, you know, when we're speaking to candidates, one, we can really sell the role, we can sell the company. We're super mission driven. So usually when someone does get a whiff of what my tutor is doing and we can speak about it, they get excited about it. And it's about maintaining that excitement. Um, you know, my tutor as well, kind of, we pride ourselves on an employee experience that, you know, it's one of our pillars of um, the people strategy that we've set. So, it, you know, if, you have, if you've kind of put in that at the heart of things and candidate experience, they're just employees that haven't joined yet hopefully. So it's important they, they're also treated in a similar way and, and they're given that good experience and it's, you know, as much as they're trying to impress us, we're trying to impress them. So we definitely keep it at the heart of things. And I think, you know, regular kind of candid feedback to the process, both positive areas to improve, 
regular contact is really important. Understanding their needs, which obviously is also useful for you as an employer when you get to the end of the process, you're making an offer, but understanding what they're actually looking for, making sure they are the right fit, not kind of forcing someone to a role that actually maybe they, they're too overqualified for or underqualified for, um, but you're just trying to make that higher. So really understanding their needs and, and what they can offer to make sure it fits. Um, so yeah, definitely important to us. And, and since you've um, been sort of thrown more into the spotlight than potentially what you were before with this hyper growth phase, has it changed how you are recruiting in the sense of are you kind of getting a lot more um, applicants? Are you are you kind of able to attract that top talent maybe a little bit more than you were before or, or how are you sort of managing that? Um, I wish it was as easy as um, <laughs> lots of inbound candidates. We, we do get some um but as i say in kind of our you know our, our kind of footprint from you know in in the space for employees looking isn't super out there you know we're not kind of running webinars or you know we can't do in-person events but not huge about that our like content isn't super regular say our debt battles page isn't up to date like it isn't obvious to see kind of what a diverse team we've built necessarily in the past year so that's something we'd, and we're super keen to work on as we move forward. Um, so, um, yeah, a lot of it is outbound sourcing. Um, you know, LinkedIn recruiter uh, is, is, is really important. Um, and again, because we have that mission to sell, obviously, you know, candidates get a lot of, um, you know, emails from recruiters all the time. But hopefully the way we pitch my tutor makes it an interesting proposition. Maybe people haven't heard of ed, the EdTech space before, but more people probably are starting to hear about it. And, you know, if my tutor's kind of leading that charge, that's quite an exciting thing to be approached about. Um, and uh, the other piece is uh, referrals. So referrals, you know, the bigger you get, the more kind of referrals you can lean on. Um, you know, whereas before we were quite a closed network, suddenly, you know, you've got a hundred more people you can ask for and the people we've been, been able to bring in you know, really strong people from other great startups, some of the, you know, the bigger ones, the Ubers, Deliveroo's, but other kind of exciting smaller ones as well. Mm -hmm. um, they've got great networks and, and referrals are a great way for us to, to bring people in um, and, you know, hopefully reward the reward the people in the company as well for kind of speaking about my teacher and championing us to their, to their network. So yeah, they've been the main sources for us, just LinkedIn and, and referrals. Yeah, I think um, a good referral scheme is um, definitely underrated, isn't it? It's very much kind of feedback that I hear all the time is that, of course, you know, things like LinkedIn Recruiter, I don't know if there's any other, um, you know, platforms that you you use as well, but we, we try and um, kind of diversify our tech stack as regularly as we can, because there's a lot of people um, out there and sometimes it's just a case of finding them, but um, referral schemes as well, absolutely. You know, it's one of the biggest things. Um, I think it was Mel Punch we were talking to at, uh, who heads up the people team for Investec. Um, and she was saying, you know, referrals are absolutely one of the best ways to um, introduce new people to, to the company. Um, and why not utilize the team that you've already got there um, and I think that comes down to the um, employer brand piece as well. You know, I know we spoke about it before that you'd like to do more. Of course, COVID has absolutely had an impact on being able to take pictures or make films um, where you're standing next to each other for the last you know, year and a half. Um, 
but actually really small things where maybe you can use um, your existing employees to share that message of what it's like to work at my tutor. Um, I mean, I know you're saying it's maybe a little bit out of date, but the stuff that you've got on your website, I think it's great. You know, it, it portrays a really nice kind of company um, experience and an ethos and you kind of all there together. So it may be out of date, but it's certainly giving people a good impression of you know what what you're about and what it's like to work there um so yeah totally um i, I completely agree and i think also it's challenging because you know it's especially in in kind of ed tech or any kind of tech um company now do you feel like you're competing with those those big players like you mentioned Deliveroo or you know those really big companies do you feel like when you're trying to bring candidates on board you've got to stand out or actually do you think that they appreciate that it's a bit more hands-on, it's a startup, they're gonna get some great experience. Yeah, I mean, I think the one great thing is already where, where like, you know, we are competing with those people and, you know, hopefully taking people from those people as well. Uh, what's great is that joining my tutor now, one, we've still got the great, same great mission. So we've always had that, we always will have that. Um, so, you know, there are, you know, there are some jobs that people might do which might pay slightly better um, because of the industry you're in. But, you know, you might not be that invested in what you're actually delivering in terms of the product or the problem you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. Whereas pretty much anyone who joins my tutor can like, buy into the mission. And even if it wasn't a big pull from the beginning, it probably will be by the end. Um, so it's great that we've always got that to lean on. And also, it's just a really exciting time to join. So yes some of the process, processes might not be as well defined but they're starting to be and you know if you come in from a slightly more experienced company you can be one of the people who defines that and then you know that could be a legacy you leave you can sort of really build a team out build a process out so i think it's really exciting to you know for me and, and for all the people who've been there really things that used to be quite small parts of our role we're now bringing in these sort of like big hitters to come in and to be completely specialized and build a whole function. So some, some things, for example, like quality, for example, used to be a, a smaller part of a, a larger team and suddenly it's becoming its own team. And, you know, talent used to be everyone's problem. Now we've got a specialist team. I me, mean, I've been do safeguarding, which is obviously incredibly important. And again, we're bringing in some, some sort of like um, ex legal support to kind of really help that function, really, you know, formalize it and, and really professionalize it. So, it's quite an exciting time to join when you get you're given a relatively easy to work for like greenfield site which you can then sort of go and really put a put a mark on um with with some pre previous expertise so yeah i think it's a great time to be joining it makes us competitive yeah definitely it sounds like you've got a lot going on is it is it what have you kind of what have you got in the what have you got planned for the rest of the year is it going to be super busy do you get a bit of a break over the summer period or or is that out the window now because of covid well, I, you know, we're, we're quite an operationally um, focused business. So about over 50% of our business work in operational roles um, <laughs> or, or maybe like customer facing roles, so sales as well, um, which means that naturally in that summer period, it is a little bit quieter because schools are closed, so you can't sell to them. They're definitely not doing tutoring and, you know, parents, you know, what exam are you even working to? There's no exams to do. So it's very much top up. It is, it is, it is sort of less than, than, than normal. So there is a little bit of breathing room. Unfortunately for my team, um, we've got the talent side of things, 
where you know ready to go up to September we're looking to bring in sort of about 70 hires into the business um so there's no respite there um and then from the people I guess this is one of the falls out the fallouts of of growing so quickly we're kind of working on a new process of performance progression and pay because a process that worked for sort of 50 people you know who have been in the business a few years each kind of understand like how things work you don't necessarily need that structure suddenly you need to add a little bit more structure to all of those things they need to be a bit more scalable you know performance used to be a lot of word docs collated through lots of different people Oops, and you, yeah. you know that's that's not really scalable so like rolling out new tools to support that with progression it's adding a little bit more structure so people feel that they understand their own progression their own pathways and their managers also feel comfortable with how to hold those conversations further so you know training and again a little bit more structure for them to work with um and pay again you know it, i think someone someone always said to me once you, you'll always struggle to have a fair pay process because someone's always going to think it's unfair probably someone who didn't get the pay rise but thorough is the word we go for so really something we can stand behind you know we've, we've done the legwork we've been supportive and you know across the business it feels like a process that, that matches out and feels balanced so those things are definitely coming to head performance reviews happening now the other pet performance and payer in july so we're very busy um h2 i think you know it's really important when you grow so fast often what i've i've heard from my network is it's ideal to have like a bedding in year afterwards so you add 100 people in you have a little bit more stable you can kind of reset improve some processes see what's breaking unfortunately we're adding another 70 odd people so not much time for rest um so i think it's really important that we just do try and keep a keep a record of kind of where do we need to add a bit more support what processes are coming under pressure so it's almost like building the car while you're moving sort of thing yeah. um we have to kind of keep keep things ticking along to make sure that what we're doing works with the scale that we're at and going to be at so yeah not much respite we've got the summer away day which is exciting so we always do like a culture day um you know everyone takes the day off and we kind of meet as a team which we are hopefully as long as covid allows going to be doing in person and you know we'll do kind of a right. few, few hours of strategy I think we're going to have a my tutor olympics as well so lots of different games like some more physical some maybe a bit lighter touch there's like something for everyone um you know have some food and then just you know hang out in a park or something afterwards maybe with some food and drinks as well so that'll be a little bit of like a rest it'll be nice to get everyone together because you know i don't think there's been any the most we've probably had in a room in one go is about 15 yeah. so far <laughs> since, since covid so if we can get 150 together that'll be quite exciting <laughs> you guys obviously work from a like a flexible space you've got kind of flexi working is that something you see continuing so we yeah so we had our office and then we we were locked down you know pretty i think just before actual lockdown happened just because that was kind of the advice um you know employee well-being in mind and then we were looking at our lease right in july so we thought you know let's not pay for something we're not using it was great and then we could kind of um you know i guess an office is a perk in a way so we should you know we managed to put that to other perks we got booper healthcare for the company which is like a quite wow. a big step up uh, for us which is quite exciting um but now yeah we're using kind of co-working solutions just while we were it's really flexible some people want to be coming out some are really unsure still but it just gives people an option so they can kind of get out and about if you need to start to meet some colleagues but we are looking to have a space ready for august um and again it's a tricky one and that again you hear everyone's doing things different but we're aiming for roughly about 70% capacity and mm -hmm. um, so a nice kind of HQ hub that can fit about the same percent of the business so people can kind of come in booking when they need to work collaboratively as a team 
we'll probably have quite a big focus on onboarding. So if you just join the company, we want you in. Uh, but after that, it'll be very flexible. You know, there'll be room to work fully remote. There'll be room for us to come in every day, two to three days. We'll keep the co-working space solution as well. So for the people who maybe don't live in London, you know, we've got a few people in Liverpool, Manchester, they can still get out of their house and they can still, you know, have a bit of a fresh space to work in. But yeah, we're keen to get back to, to some sort of office in some way, particularly with going through so much growth. After such a high period of growth, it's it's important um, for us that there is some sort of HQ that we can like get people together at. Absolutely. You know, people can learn from each other. That almost osmosis kind of that you maybe lose from remote. And um, when people are onboarded, we can get them up to speed. But also like learning from the past year that, you know, people do need to work in different ways. You can capture more talent. You know, uh-huh. if you've got new parents maybe that are, you know, need to be able to be at home more more often than not for childcare. We would hate for them not to work at my tutor just because we're saying you have to be in every day. So make it just kind of being considerate that that everyone needs to work in different ways, but still having a place that we can really like build a, and continue to build a culture at. Yeah, yeah. And you're so right. You know, there's such a variety of um, approaches and people really want different things. So I think having that kind of hybrid approach with the office is is going to hopefully then you know, not to alienate anyone and, and, and actually welcome everybody. So that's great. Um, so just as a final, um, I mean, you've had such great success. It is absolutely a household name. Um, I think I was, is it 250, um, sorry, a quarter of a million lessons delivered so far? Like it's huge. It's absolutely brilliant. For a, for a startup or a scale up who is, you know, potentially about to, to take off as well, what, what would be your advice in terms of you know, head of people and, and that focus um, for you, what would you, what would you say to them? Oh, that's a really good question. I put you on the spot. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think the things that, the things that I think that uh, have helped my tutor, but I'm also going to add a caveat in, caveat in at the end as well. I think one is, you know, obviously the management team, that senior leadership team, your C-suite is going to be completely instrumental in, in whatever you build. So, <laughs> founders I guess being really careful about who you let in there and and for anyone who is in that team everyone's like looking at you so you can have behaviors that you write down they're on the walls whatever but it's ultimately how you behave as individuals and that goes for heads of department as well managers everyone but the more senior you get the more people looking at you so whatever you want your cult to be that's how you have to act mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. could come with ways of working how you approach well-being the you know how you treat flexible working like all that stuff you can't just say it you have to do it I think that's really important um I think the other ones listen to your employees so we've been always been really big on collecting feedback whether that's from new people been onboarded from people leaving the company we have regular EMPS um you know town halls any opportunity you can get to collect feedback that's gonna be super important um, and you know how that helps define your strategy is going to be instrumental. You know, it's all well and good. You're you're ahead of people saying this is what we need to do, which they obviously do need to do as well because you know an employee's got no context around like well if you're adding a hundred people what does that mean um, for coming up what you need to do they won't know that so you do obviously need to have your own thoughts but also how's that impacted employees why how is it different for them what do they care about and just making sure that feeds in. But I think ultimately you just need to make sure that whatever you do is kind of ties in with your own culture so there's things that work for my tutor for example we have a very small people team relative to the size of the company and that's because we've decided that we want quite strong management structures so quite a lot of control 
in the business units that operate with heads of department. So we don't need a huge team necessarily because there's a lot of control within there. But for another company, you might need quite a large people team because you want to structure a different way and have people, people partners across the business, very specific skilled people for different areas like learning development, all these different things. So just being aware of the kind of culture you want to bit build, be deliberate with it and understand, you know, where you've been, like who you are at the moment, where you want to get to. Um, and just being um, aware of those things. So they're the things that jump out at me and the things I kind of think about when I think about how we've grown. No, I love it. That's brilliant advice. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time to join us today. Um, you've been a star. That's been really, really insightful. And I, I hope it's given, um, you know, startups and scale ups that are, that are on that journey some insight into, you know, how they might achieve the success that you and the team have um, and also for future talent I mean it sounds like you're growing you know a bit of a bit of a window into your world and, and what it's like to work at my tutor so thank you very much Will for joining us and um, yeah we will see you soon.